All right, good evening, everyone. Mark, it sounds like you are uh, losing your voice. Uh, I can sympathize you, with you just a little bit. Um, look at God. He used Mark to warm you guys up <laughs> to someone else who is uh, not doing that great with their voice. But to God be the glory. Uh, so pray that my voice holds up uh, tonight. Um, so I'm just really grateful uh, to be here with you once again as we study the Word of God together. Um, I am. I was telling Trevor earlier. It's like I'm. A, I'm excited. Um, I'm a little nervous. Um, not. Not for. Not for standing up here, but just nervous to. To, unburden my heart, in a manner that pleases God. Um, this. This is a. This is a weighty study that the Lord has kind of taken me through. So, um, just good to be here to study the Word with you again. Uh, thank God for the word that uh, was delivered on Sunday by Pastor Trevor on the Ten Commandments. It was a wonderful, powerful word. Uh, you don't get to hear that teaching very much anymore. People don't like talking about sin from this desk. Um, but uh, it's refreshing to hear just sin being called what it is, uh, the, the consequences of sin, but also, uh, praise God, the remedy for sin. Uh, so also want to continue to lift up Pastor Tim and Sarah and the girls as they uh, spend some time away, much needed, much deserved time uh, preparing to send the girls off back to school and uh, just pray for their safe travels and uh, time of rest and refreshing. Uh, I'd like to uh, direct our attention tonight, uh, as you see on the screen, to the Gospel of John, uh, and uh, we will be reading in chapter 11. Uh, this is the story of the raising of Lazarus, a uh, very familiar story, uh, and we're going to start with a few verses and then uh, work our way through this passage. So we'll begin at uh, verse 1 of chapter 11. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, of the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Bethany who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. And when Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. We'll stop right there. Father, Lord, here we are. Lord, we're gathered here in your name and in your presence solely to hear from you, God. We don't want to hear from me. We want the word that you have prepared for us, Lord, to, to come for. Lord, let nothing I say or do be any distraction to what you want to accomplish here in our lives and our hearts today. Prepare us, anoint us, open up our hearts, open up our eyes, our minds, Lord, that we may think upon you, think upon these passages. Lord, give us practical application, Lord, that we may uh, apply this generously to our lives. Lord, that you would change and transform us and empower us and enable us, Holy Spirit, that we would walk in your truth and Lord, we just ask that you would be glorified in all that is done, all that is said. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So again, uh, John chapter 11, the story of the raising of Lazarus, is uh, one of the most read and one of the most loved stories uh, in all the New Testament. It's one of my favorites, uh, personally. Uh, and one of the dangers of teaching um, from a familiar message is that is that's just that. It's familiar. Um, you know, you could, any one of you could come up and teach the story of the raising of Lazarus. Um, so my prayer is that, and has been, that the Lord would open our hearts and our ears to receive an unfamiliar uh, revelation of him through his word. Uh, I'll tell you, this story, this message, uh, has been years in the making uh, for me. Um, I've waited a long time for the Lord to allow me to share from this passage. Uh, whenever the time would come for me to share in my preparation um, for every time, I, I would kind of camp out here, like, you know, Lord, is it time now? Is it time, right? 
is it time for me to share from here? And the Lord would always just kind of divert me somewhere else. Um, and it was almost as if the Lord was saying, you are not ready to teach this message yet. You know, you have to live this a little longer before you're able to, to share it. You know, because this, you know, when you really look at it from a practical application standpoint, this is a hard lesson to study outside of theory. I mean, anyone can teach theory, but when you really uh, apply it, it is so jarring, it's so distressing as this plays out in real life. I mean, the, the climax of the story is fantastic. You know, Jesus raises it from the dead. Lazarus come forth. You know, if he didn't say Lazarus, everybody would have gotten up, right? You've heard it before. You know, but the drama surrounding it is devastating. It is devastating. And we find that it only can be called disappointment. And, and you know, when I was you know, thinking, and of course the title of, of the message is not inspired, um, you know, except for the, what little bit the Holy Ghost gives you, to put a title on a message. Um, but this could have been anything. This could have been secrets of, of, of suffering. This could have been grace for hard times. Uh, but, but disappointment was really what just kind of pulsated at me uh, in, in preparing for this message because, um, let me just ask, has, in, has God ever disappointed you? I mean, let's just be real here. You know, you, you don't know what people are going through when they come to church. You often don't, don't often know what people are dealing with uh, when they come into the house of the Lord. Um, you know, where I come from, they used to say, you don't look like what you've been through, right? Uh, and, and, and that's true, right? Uh, we don't always look like what we've been through when we come into these doors. Um, but people are dealing with things. They're dealing with things. Um, you know, I, I think of my sister Sarah, Sarah Moncrief, uh, and y'all got to bear with me. Uh, like I said, this is weighty. I don't get emotional. Uh, my wife will tell, me, tell you I don't get emotional. But I don't know what I'm going to do up here tonight. Y'all just pray. Um, I, I might just cry some. I might some laugh some. I don't know. I think of my sister Sarah. Um, you know, every time I see her, she just has the most radiant smile. Like, she's just full of joy. And I know, she's ravaged by this migraine, this debilitating migraine. And yet she still comes. When we see her, she's so full of the joy of the Lord. What's the secret of that? Think about John and Daphne. Their dear daughter, Jasmine, tragically passing away. You know, what's the answer for that? You know, what's the answer for that? This book has all that we need for life and godliness. What's the answer to those terrible things? You know, like I said, the heartbreak, the frustration is so raw. Produces a crisis of faith sometimes in us. You know, if this was playing out on stage or on film, you know, you'd have the camera moving and you'd have all these perspectives, you know, to look at the, the action and the drama as it's unfolding. Of course, you'd have a camera on Jesus and the disciples and even the onlookers. Uh, tonight, I, I, I'd like to narrow that camera lens a bit to focus in on Mary and Martha. Mary and Martha. These two sisters literally had their hopes completely crushed. Crushed. As they waited desperately for their friend, Jesus, to come and heal their dying brother. I ask you again, has God ever disappointed you? If he has, then you know how hard it is to go through it watching your situation continue to get worse 
while all the time you continue to pray and you hope for it to get better. You hear the testimonies of your brothers and your sisters and they tell of the faithfulness of God and how he answered their prayer and he turned around their circumstances. And while you rejoice with them, of course, you're also left wondering, why won't the Lord also do that for my situation? Have you ever prayed the why God prayer? Or the when God prayer? Or the how God prayer? You know, you don't want to make it a pity party all about you. You know, you don't want to discourage other believers by telling them about your prayers that seem to have gone unanswered. But still, every day you're confronted excuse me, by the situation that no one can help but God. And it seems that no matter how much you pray, no matter how desperate the situation, God seems to refuse to intervene in the manner in which you thought that he should. I mean, am I in the house? Am I the only one? Okay, okay, thank you, thank you. You know, it could be a sickness, a chronic sickness, like I mentioned with Sarah. It could be a terminal illness. Uh, maybe your own, maybe that of a loved one. Uh, maybe your situation is exactly like Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, in that if the Lord does not miraculously come through, death is all but a certainty. Maybe it's a prodigal, a prodigal son or a prodigal daughter, and it seems that the more you pray for them and try to point them to Christ, it only makes them seem to run more towards darkness and destruction. And by the way, these two things in particular, I and my family have dealt with and are continuing to deal with even to this day. As I say, this is weighty. This is weighty. Because you know that God can fix these things, but for the life of you, you can't understand why he won't. I'm just trying to set the stage here, right? Because... Yeah, Lazarus come forth. Woo, yeah, that's awesome. But man, if you were to see it through the eyes of these two girls, it's just devastating. Devastating. And if it hasn't happened to you, then count your blessings and get ready. Get ready. Your life could be turned upside down in an instant, and you could one day come face to face with the why God prayer. Incidentally, Scripture records two other instances uh, where, well, at least two other instances where God disappointed those who had put their hope and their trust in him. Uh, one, we know of uh, the two disciples walking to Emmaus in Luke 24, uh, when one of them said, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. But of course, we know that three days prior to that statement, all that hope came a crushing end on a Roman cross. Or Paul's thorn in the flesh, we know very well in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 and 8, how he prayed three times for God to remove a thorn in the flesh, which God refused to remove. Of course, we all know about Job. He's the poster child for being made to suffer for seemingly no logical reason whatsoever. So what can we learn from these stories of hope that are frustrated and dashed at the hands of a fully loving and capable and infinite God. Let's look again at the text. Let's look at verse 2. It was that Mary, we're in Bethany, it was that Mary who anointed the Lord Jesus with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. And this is just a footnote, but it's, it's, I think it's really informative that Mary, who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped, her, wiped his feet with her hair, if you compare this passage uh, and John uh, chapter 12, verse 3, the next chapter, uh, with Luke chapter 7, where it has this very, very similar passage, a very similar uh, uh, set of circumstances, while the settings themselves are really clearly different, the action performed by Mary here that they talk about uh, and the woman in Luke chapter 7 are remarkably similar. So there was a woman who came to Jesus and anointed his feet with oil 
and dried his feet with her hair. It's pure speculation on my part, but what are the odds that two completely different women on completely separate occasions feel compelled to perform the same exact ritual on Jesus? I mean, it's not every day that somebody puts anoint, you know, anoints your feet and dries it with their hair. Um, and especially considering the scorn that they would have received because it's shameful for a woman to let their hair out in that day and age. So it's pure speculation on my part. The Bible is silent on whether Mary was the same person. But if it was, and that, that, that episode in Luke chapter 7 very well may have been Jesus' first introduction to Mary, and then by extension her sister Martha and her brother Lazarus. In any case, uh, Jesus had obviously grown very close with this young family. Uh, we saw in, uh, in Luke chapter 10, verse 38, where he came and he visited and Mary sat at, at Jesus' feet while Martha was in the kitchen preparing the meal. I mean, this was a place where Jesus could just kind of let his hair down, right? Their home was, he could make himself at home at their home. Uh, being a preacher and the son of a preacher, you, you value, you treasure those places where you can go where you don't have to be preacher man, right? You don't have to be pastor. You don't have to be uh, burdened with the, the weight of ministry. You can just kind of be there just kind of hang out with your friends. And these were the, these were the kind of people that, that, that were that to Jesus. He was very close with his family. And so it's interesting when we see in verses 3 and 4 where the sisters sent to Jesus saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. And then Jesus hears that and he says, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified through it. Now, what happens here is the sisters send a messenger from Bethany to where Jesus is with this message that Lazarus, who you love, is sick. And we're not told whether Jesus, whether the messenger stuck around to hear Jesus' response, um, but he very well could have. And if this messenger was here to hear Jesus' response, that this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it, if he did and took that message back to the sisters, imagine the hope that that would have elicited in the sisters. Then when we look at verse 5, it says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Interestingly, he didn't just say, Jesus loved this family. He calls out each and every one, right? Mary and the sister and Lazarus. But then it says, though, when he said that he, when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. And what a puzzling response on the part of Jesus. On the one hand, he gives this great hope-filled statement that this sickness is not unto death. But then, on the other hand, he delays his coming, seemingly only to ensure that death actually took place. This is so puzzling. And it's not like Jesus was close to there either, right? Jesus wasn't around the corner. Jesus was about 20 miles away. He was actually in Bethabara. If you want to do your homework, uh, if you go up to John 10:40, just the prior chapter near the end of the chapter, it says that he went back to the place where John the Baptist was performing his ministry. If you go back to John chapter 1, verse 28, it says that he was performing his ministry in Bethabara. So Jesus was in Bethabara, which was about 20 miles away from Bethany, which is about a day's journey. He's a day away, and he delayed his coming. So if you do the math, you've got the messenger being sent from Bethany. It would have taken about a day to arrive. So if he starts at the beginning of day one, by the end of day one, he arrives. Jesus then stays two more days, days two and three, before he packs his bags and he travels for another day, arriving at day four. And when he arrives, he finds, in verse 17, as we'll get to, he finds that Lazarus has been dead for how many days? Four days. So it's very possible that by the time the messenger shows up in Bethabara, Lazarus may already have been dead. And of course Jesus knows this because he says in verse 11, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. And then he clarifies to the disciples in verse 14, telling them plainly that Lazarus is dead. But that's not all he says. He says, and I am glad for your sakes 
that I was not there that you may believe. Mm. We start to get the first little glimpse that Jesus has a plan. Even though this whole thing has been bizarre up to this point, we start to see that Jesus has something going on that he's not yet quite disclosed to us. It's interesting that he says, I was not there. Because that's exactly what Mary and Martha confront him with when he does arrive. You were not there. You were not there. Again, imagine if this is Mary and Martha and their dying brother, you kind of remember Jairus and his situation with his daughter and he came desperately to Jesus and falling at Jesus' feet and saying, Jesus, please come because my daughter is dying. Right? And, and he was interrupted by the woman with the issue of blood. And just, you can imagine, you know, Jairus is like, yeah, but come on, Jesus. I mean, my daughter, my daughter, right? You look at this in, from the perspective of, I mean, the Bible doesn't, doesn't show what's going on at Bethany. It, it, the cameras focus on Bethabar, where Jesus is, but what's going on in Bethany? You could almost imagine Martha being type A as she is. She's probably, like, at the corner like, looking down the street, like, any minute now, Jesus will be here. Any moment now, he'll be here. You know, Lazarus, just hold on. Just hold on. Our friend Jesus is coming. As his life is slowly leaking and ebbing away. And he comes down to these last breaths. And yet the sisters are hoping, any minute now, any minute now, Jesus will be here. Any minute now. I work in organ transplantation. Uh, and I often say that we stand at the intersection of tragedy and hope. And, and we see that play out in the line of work that we do. On the one hand, you've got a family with, with, a, with a loved one who has uh, had a traumatic brain injury or some kind of an injury from which they will not recover. And they're hoping and praying that God will heal their, their loved one. Hoping against hope that their loved one will be healed. And on the other side, you've got a family with someone who's dying of organ failure and hoping and praying that someone will die so that they can get an organ to save their loved one's life. And just imagine just the, the, just the tragedy of these situations of waiting and hoping and praying, and, but seeing that hope start to slip away. Of course, in verse 20, we can... Take a look at verse 20. Now Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. In verse 21, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, here we go, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. But then what she says, but even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Now, this statement is really puzzling to me. It's almost like you have faith and frustration and hope all wrapped up into this passage, into this statement. Like you have the agony, Jesus, had you been here, my brother would not have died, but I know that whatever you ask of God, he will give it to you. Could this be that mustard seed of faith? Could it be? However feeble, displayed by Martha. I mean, surely she had heard of Jesus raising the widow's son uh, and Jairus' daughter. I wonder what the whatever she was getting at that she had in mind for Jesus to ask God for. You know, and as we go through this narrative, it's, it, again, looking through Martha and, and Mary's uh, perspective, probably more Martha than Mary. She's just more prominent in the story. Uh, but as we go through the narrative, you can see that she's kind of vacillating between hope for a miracle, right, and resignation at the current reality, right? And how familiar is that? To, like, it's just like us. Just like us. We just vacillate between, you know, this hope for a miracle realization that this is just the reality that we're dealing with. Uh, most of you all know that my father passed away in March. Um, and then, you know, this is after an eight-year battle uh, with lung and prostate cancer. 
that he dealt with. And, and to, to God be the glory, he lived that long. He long outlived uh, all of the, the doctor's expectations. Um, and this without any chemotherapy or any radiation. Um, you know, he did some alternative medicines, but literally by the power of God, uh, he just continued to keep going, keep preaching, keep serving the Lord uh, all those years. Uh, but in the last year, six months, three months, as, con- as the Lord began to just kind of wind it down for him, you know, uh, we were in that vacillating place, you know, um, praying and, and, and believing God for a miracle. You know, uh, God, he has been a walking miracle for eight years now, right? So, Lord, we know you can work a miracle. We know that you can heal, you know, but also preparing ourselves for what appeared to be an inevitable outcome, right? Just this kind of back and forth, this tug of war. I found myself, you know, leaning on passages uh, like, like John 11.4. I repeated that a lot, uh, John 11.4, uh, as well as uh, Daniel 3. Of course, we know about Daniel 3. Um, you know, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace, right? And he will deliver us, but if not, right? But if not. We will not serve your gods. Uh, another one that I uh, think I have it on here. Yes. Uh, another one that's been an encouragement to me. And some of these, you know, I, I've shared with you, right? As you all been going, with, going through things, I've shared some of these scriptures with you. Little did you know, I was going through it. I was going through these things. So I'm just sharing with you what God is sharing with me as I'm going through. You know, Job 23, 8 through 10. Look, I go forward, but he's not there. And backward, but I cannot perceive him. When he works on the left hand, I cannot behold him. When he turns to the right hand, I cannot see him. But he knows the way that I take. And when he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. These scriptures were an encouragement to me. And, and as my father, you know, he's trying to be strong for the family. You know, and he's believing and trusting God for a miracle. But then, you know, quietly he would just confide to me, I'm tired. I'm just tired. And I'd have to share with him. It's okay. It's no failure on God's part. He's kept you here for eight years for a reason. And he has just as good reasons to take you home. And so these kinds of things were just the struggle that we went through. Let's look at verses 23 and 24. Jesus assures Martha that her brother Lazarus will rise again. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha says to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. It's almost as if Jesus says, yes, Lazarus will rise again. But Martha, again, you know, because she's kind of where she is, um, it's almost as if she's interpreting it like, yes, Lord, that's nice to know that he will rise again, but that doesn't do very much to help me right now doesn't do very much to help. And then Jesus responds with his own powerful, powerful statement. This is the fifth, incidentally, of his great I am sayings in the book of John. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whosoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? That's the crucial question. That's the crucial question for Martha as well as for all of us. When we hear the truth of God's word, the immediate question to us is, do you believe this? Because far too often we put our hope in how when Jesus wants us to put our hope in him. I'll say that again. Far too often we put our hope in how when Jesus wants us to put our hope in him. You all know the scripture, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, for without faith it is impossible to please him because he who comes to God must believe that he is God and that he is a rewarder of them who diligently seek him. Not a rewarder of them that diligently seek an answer or diligently seek their circumstances turned around. Seek him. He rewards when we seek him. Martha, 
makes a positive confession of belief in response. Verse 27, he says, Yes, Lord, I believe that you're the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. And I wish we could have been there to, you know, kind of hear how she said it, right? You know, she said, Yes, Lord, I believe. You know, did she say it that way? Was it excitement? You know, was it joyful expectation? Uh, was it resignation? Uh, I think it was still resignation. Uh, and only because, you know, the very next verse she says, and when she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary and said, the teacher has come and is calling for you. Right? Because if she was excited, she would be going to tell Mary, Mary, guess what? <laughs> Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And she didn't say any of that. She just came and said, Jesus is calling for you. So I think she was still, again, vacillating between, I know that, Jesus, you're more than what I know you are. But I don't know what you're going to do. Again, Jesus, I know you're able. I can't figure out why you won't. I know you're able, but I can't figure out why you won't. At any rate, she doesn't, still doesn't perceive how Jesus' great self-declaration relates to her present circumstance. Again, very much like us. Uh, and then, beginning in verse 28 to, down to 38, there's just this flood of drama activity that takes place. And we won't read it all, but you know, as you go through and you read it on your own, you just kind of see this outpouring of inconsolable grief between Mary and the other mourners. Uh, and it's just this this wailing, this, this pouring out uh, of, of grief. And curiously, this has the most profound impact on Jesus. Now, this is, this is amazing. Um, you see verse 33, uh, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. Verse 35, the shortest, one of the most powerful verses in all scripture, verse 35, Jesus wept. Verse 38, Jesus again groaning in himself. This grief was having a, an effect on Jesus himself. Now, look at verse 37. Someone says, Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? It almost hurts to hear that. And whether they said it mockingly or whether they said it grievingly, it still hurts to hear. Because of course he could have. No one ever died in Jesus' presence. You know that, right? No one ever died in Jesus' presence. I mean, he is life. A dying man could not die if Jesus' life, the life, was in the room. And it's very right that these people say, this man who healed the blind man, because he had just done that in John chapter 10. That's one of the reasons why they were all stirred up. Because he healed a man who'd been blind from birth. He said, could not a man who has opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? Of course he could have. Oswald Chambers, who's been, uh, he's been a major blessing. Uh, he has kind of walked with me over these last eight years, um, you know, throughout all of this. Um, so I've got a few quotes from him. Um, one of the things he says is, God's aim appears to have missed the mark because we are too nearsighted to see the target at which he's aiming. Oof. Isn't that true? Amen. Listen, our disappointment in God, loved ones, always stems from misplaced expectations on our part, rather than any failure on God's part. If I'm disappointed, it's because I've placed my expectations in the wrong thing, right? Again, I'm looking at a how when Jesus wants me to look at a him, okay? And in this setting, with all this grief being poured out, at the very least, Christ's tears demonstrate his humanity and his association with this broken mankind. As our perfect and our faithful high priest, of course, in Hebrews chapter 4, we hear about, we know about we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. He was tempted in all points such as we are, yet without sin. We can come boldly before the throne of grace and find grace to help in time of need. He's our great high priest. Incidentally, there are three references in the New Testament to Jesus weeping. Uh, here, of course, in John 11, 
Uh, also Luke 19, uh, where Jesus weeps over Jerusalem. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 5, where the author references Jesus' priestly prayers being uttered with cries and tears. And all these things are an expression of his great compassion toward us and his love. I tell you, Jesus is uh, way more compassionate than me. Um, as I said, I, I don't usually get um, uh, uh, emotional. Uh, my son's probably saying, that's like the second time I've ever seen my dad shed a tear in my whole life. Um, it's all good, bro. It's all good. Um, you know, but, my, but my wife, you know, <laughs> she calls me like the tin man because I seem to have no compassion at all. Um, and, and, and truly that, I mean, because, you know, I mean, just think about it. If you're Jesus now and you've got all the power of heaven and earth, you know, you've got the power over all the universe and you're here in a room of weeping and wailing people over a, a person who has passed away and you know what you're going to do. You're like, all right, man, all right, knock it off, knock it off, knock it off. I mean, come on, people. But Jesus doesn't do that. It's like he's fully there. He's fully present in the, in the grief, in our grief. He's fully present in our grief, even though he knows what he's doing. He knows what he's allowing. It's almost like, uh, you know, the mother uh, who takes the, the, the little toddler, it's time for her to get their shots, and, you know, the, the baby looks up at the mom like, why are you letting them do this to me? You know, and it breaks the mom's heart because they see how much is hurting the baby, but they know it's good for the baby. Don't, I don't want any, don't nobody go <laughs> tweeting me or DMing me about vaccines. Just, just go with it. Just go with the illustration. <laughs> Let's look at the climax. Verse 39. We reach the climax of the story. Jesus says, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there's a stench for he has been dead for four days. It's interesting. You know, Martha, we've, we already know about Martha. We've been hearing about Martha since verse 1. Right? We know that Martha was the one that sent the messenger. We know that Martha was the one that Jesus loved. We know that Martha was the one that confronted Jesus. But John stops and says, in case you forgot, Martha is the sister of him who was dead. As if to just hammer home the point, as the drama continues to build, Lazarus is not just dead, like he's dead dead, like seriously dead, which is interesting because when he raised up Jairus' daughter, he raised Jairus' daughter from her bed right after she died, right? It was like, oh, that was easy, that was easy. I mean, she could have just been, you know, she really could have been asleep. Maybe, maybe it's one of those, you know, just kind of, you know, false dying kind of thing, right? And then she raised, then he raised up. The, the, the son of the widow of Nain, after he was dead, but he wasn't yet buried. He was being carried to the place of burial, and he raised him up. It's like, all right, all right, that's a little bit harder. It's a little bit harder. I'll give you that. But it's almost like to hammer home Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said, guess what, Jesus? He's been dead for four days. What are you doing? Jesus' response to Martha, in verse 40, now we begin to see the true purpose unfold behind the whole story. I would argue that verse 4 and verse 40 are the two key verses of this story. He says in verse 4, this sickness is not unto death, but for the, what? Glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified in it. Then in verse 40, he says, if you would believe, you would see the glory of God. Now count how many times you see the word believe in this story. Now, I don't want to distract you. I'll tell you how many. Eight times. In these verses, believe, 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 believe. And in this book, of course, we know believe is throughout this book. So what brings glory to God? Is that? Belief, yes. What brings glory to God? Belief in the Son. Belief in the Son of God. That's what brings glory. That's what he says. If you can believe, you'll see the glory of God. 
If you can believe, you'll see the glory of God. That's what brings him glory. You also see it in his prayer in verse 42 as he's praying to God. Starting verse 41, he says, Father, I thank you that you've heard me, and I know that you always hear me. But because of the people standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you've sent me. Remember we said in verse 14, when Jesus said, Lazarus is dead, and I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. There's something with this belief thing. And then when you look at the finally, at the conclusion of the story, in verse 45, then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things that Jesus did, did what? Believed. Believed in him. This was not unto death, but for the glory of God, that people who did not believe would come to believe. This crushing, devastating drama was for one purpose, that people would come to believe on Jesus, the Son of God. Now, how do we take this and do something with it? I think I missed all of my little... No, I didn't. There it is. Boom. Three points of application. Three things by way of remembrance, to stir up our remembrance. First thing, the point of prayer is relationship. Secondly, the purpose of God is his glory. Thirdly, the cares of this world are temporary. So first, the point of prayer is relationship. Oswald Chambers, once again, my friend, says the point of prayer is not to get answers from God, but to have perfect and complete oneness with him. The purpose of prayer is not to get answers from God, but to have perfect and complete oneness with him. And this is one of the great mysteries of prayer. Uh, he already knows the things that we need of before we ask him, right? Matthew chapter 6, verse 8. But he still requires us to pray. Why is that? So that we would become one with his purpose and plan in this world. Prayer is more about the work God wants to accomplish in us than the work that we want God to accomplish for us. Say that again. Prayer is more about the work that God wants to accomplish in us than the work that we want God to accomplish for us. As in Romans uh, chapter 8, verses 26 and 27, which says that we know not what to pray for as we ought, right? but the Holy Spirit makes intercession with us, an intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered, it's, you know, how often have we prayed for God to change our circumstances uh, and the Holy Spirit is interpreting, right? He's interpreting. Thank God for the Holy Spirit. He's saying something like this. He's saying, Lord, teach me how to be content in this. What? Teach me how to have joy in this. Give me your peace that passes understanding through this. Help me to be thankful in the midst of this. Lord, give me patience to endure this. Give me your all-sufficient grace through this. I'm like, that did not come out of my mouth, Lord. <laughs> but that's exactly what we mean. That's exactly the purpose that God is allowing that circumstance that is driving us to our knees. That he might accomplish these things in us. Not so much the answering of our specific prayer. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, uh, we see what Paul says, what things were gained to me, those I've counted lost for Christ. Uh, yet indeed, I also count all things uh, lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, as is on the screen, and I count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. I may gain Christ, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death if by any means I may attain the resurrection from the dead. The point of prayer is relationship. 
Number two, the purpose of God is his glory. Know this, that everything that God has ever done, everything that God has ever done, from the creation to this very day, even the end, which we read about in Revelation, is for his glory. Now, I don't mean to offend anyone in here, but I have to say it. God's glory is more important than your desired outcome. Now, listen, I'm telling you, I told you, the Lord wouldn't let me share this. He wouldn't let me share this. This is not theory, folks. This is not theory. The Lord made me live it before I could say it. God's glory is more important than my Father continuing to live on this earth. God's glory is more important than my prodigal daughter walking into this building right now. You got, I'm telling you, man, I'm telling you, this is heavy. Terrible, I told you, this is weighty, bro. It's weighty. Man, it's almost offensive to hear these words, especially in our man-centered society. It's all bled into the church, you know, Jesus is my boyfriend. He's all about you. He thinks she's a, you know, all that in a bag of chips. No, you're not. You're not. Kill that garbage. Matthew 7, 7 says, Seek and you will find. Find what? Find him. Find him and his purposes. Seek to know what God desires to teach you through this circumstance. Back in 2014, in the 2014, when I was between jobs, uh, never been without a job since I'd started work in 1996. I'm dating myself. Uh, but in 2014, I was between jobs. Uh, and I'll never forget Pastor Tim. He was on his way to a pastor's conference out west. He just called me, you know. And, hey, brother, just checking on you, seeing how you're doing. You know, everything going well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, you looking for a job? Yeah, yeah, looking for a job. He says, what's the Lord teaching you through all this? Like, Teaching me. Teaching me I need to go get a job. <laughs> but, it, but it was just profound. I'll never forget that. I'll never forget that because it was one of those things where it's like, I'm going through something and I'm focused on getting out of what I'm in. That's my only focus. How do I get out of this? How do I get a job? How do I get my mortgage paid? How do I get my car note paid? This is the focus, the focus, the focus. And all of a sudden, what's God trying to teach you here? Hit me like a ton of bricks. Shared it with my family. And the Lord was teaching us all kinds of things that were right in front of our noses and we weren't paying attention because we were too focused on the circumstance. And again, what brings him glory? What brings him glory? Belief. Belief. You know, sometimes we have to pray like the father of the demoniac son in Mark 9, 23. He said, Lord, I believe but help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. You know, my father, when we had his funeral, um, um, you know, those of you who came to the funeral, y'all saw how it was. Uh, it was pretty raucous. Um, pretty excited. Um, joyful. Just rejoicing that, you know, a soldier has gone home. Right? He's finished his race. He's kept the faith. I had a coworker. I'm not going to give their name, but I had a coworker come to me uh, at work the next day because they came. A couple, a couple of my coworkers came to the funeral, and uh, and she was just baffled at how happy that funeral was. She was baffled. She just couldn't understand why everybody was so happy in there. And this is a death we're talking about. And a, and a death of someone who's, who meant so much to so many people, right? She just couldn't understand. And of course, I said, well, I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that an unbeliever might hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. I had an opportunity to clearly share with her the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we do not sorrow as those who have no hope. 
He really is in a better place. Really, really is in a better place. And I was able to share that to the glory of God. You know, my father was a prolific songwriter as well. Um, he wrote well over a dozen songs, maybe 24 songs uh, in his lifetime. Most, I think all, um, after he came to the Lord. Uh, and there was one song that he wrote, uh, probably one of the first that he wrote. He said, if I could just tell somebody about Jesus, I could just tell somebody about the Lord. If I could just tell somebody all about his name, then my living shall not be in vain. And I'm so glad to say that his living and his dying was not in vain. What's glory's reward? Again, we said in Hebrews uh, 11.6 that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. The reward of God's glory to us, for us, is a greater revelation and trust in the power and the purposes of God. Job 42 and 5, note this. This is while Job is still in his circumstance, right? While Job is still, his body is still ravaged by the boils, while he is still destitute, while he is still without, look at what he discovers about God. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Again, more important, God's glory is more important than our desired outcome. He spent the whole book trying to, res trying to reverse his outcome. But suddenly, when the Lord confronted him, he said, now my eye sees you. And it was at that point, and only after that point, that his circumstance was turned around. Of course, you all know very well 2 Corinthians 12. We talked about it earlier with Paul and the thorn in the flesh and his pleading with the Lord three times that it might be depart from him and Jesus saying to him, my grace is sufficient for you for my strength is made perfect in weakness. How does someone go from a thorn in the flesh, whatever that was, we still don't know what it was, but something bad enough, troublesome enough to plead with God three times to, re to remove it. How do you go from that to Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses. Like, give me more, give me more, give me more, Jesus, for your sake, because when I'm weak, then I am strong. This is the reward of glory for us. When he gets the glory, we get this revelation of who he is. And I know this seems like some unattainable goal, and it is in our own strength. And yet, loved ones, it is not only God's desire, but his expectation for each of his children. This is precisely why he allows the painful experiences in our lives. This is why he allows them. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 says, Though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Oswald Chambers again. I think this is my last Chambers quote. Hope you're all not tired of him. Jesus said that there are times when God cannot lift the darkness from you, but you should trust him. At times it will appear like, and he may, God will appear like an unkind friend, but he is not. He will appear like an unnatural father, but he is not. He will appear like an unjust judge, but he is not. Keep the thought that the mind of God is behind all things, strong and growing. Not even the smallest detail of life happens unless God's will is behind it. Therefore, you can rest in perfect confidence in him. And thirdly, as we come to a close, the cares of this world are temporary. Paul said in 2 Corinthians uh, for we read verse 16, but verses 17 and 18, Paul calls the troubles of this life our light affliction, which is but a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. 
For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. That's so important. Because even after Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, Lazarus died again. I told my dad that, you know, the dad, you know that, you know, anything that God does here is temporary. Even if he heals you of this cancer, it's temporary. It's all temporary here. We should be seeking the eternal weight of glory, the eternal riches of God, right? If you look at the Hall of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11, you know, everyone in that list had to learn how to trust God in the face of impossible, God-sized circumstances. There are great victories recorded in the Hall of Faith, but they are vastly outnumbered by the myriad apparent defeats in the temporal age, in this age. Hebrews 11.13 says, These all died in faith, not receiving the promises. Not receiving the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confess that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. See, they, had, they embraced and, assured, and were assured and confessed that this earth is not my home. Saw me in half if you want, because this earth is not my home. Throw me in the den of lions if you want, because this earth is not my home. Cancer ravaged my body. If the Lord wills, this earth is not my home. As it says, these did not obtain the promise, yet they still believed. Even today, look at the number of believers who suffer and die for the cause of Christ all around the world. Yet they still believe. Yet they still believe. These have gained Christ. Gained Christ, as we talked about. That is the point of suffering, loved ones. To gain Christ. If it was easy, it wouldn't be called faith, would it? It would be called sight. The final word uh, for the unbeliever, it may be an unbeliever uh, here in the room um, or watching online. Uh, and I want you to know that you know, the word of God is alive and powerful, it's two -ed, sharper than any two-edged sword, it cuts both, word, both ways tonight. Um, you know, for the believer, um, your circumstances, God is using them to bring you to trust in him more, believe in him more, have greater faith in him. But as an unbeliever, God is using your circumstances to cause you to trust and believe in him. Um, he's using your circumstances to bring you to himself. If you're feeling that squeeze, that alienation, that stress, that anxiety, that depression, he's calling you by name through your circumstances to surrender your heart, your life, to him. Are you a prodigal? God may be drawing you as he did the prodigal son in Luke 15. You know, losing all his money and all his friends and stooping to his lowest point to feed the swine, that wasn't meant to destroy him. Not unto death, but for the glory of God. This was to break him, that God could remake him, to bring him to the end of himself. So he would say, I will arise and return to my father. So is that you? If it is, I want you to know that Jesus is calling you. Calling you. Don't wait. Don't wait. It won't get any better. It's going to keep getting worse because he has a purpose for calling you. He has a purpose for allowing those things to press in upon you. He wants to pull you out of that bring you out of darkness, into his marvelous light. Finally, as we close, I want to close with a prayer. And this is a prayer that the Lord, in, in, in various ways, I've been praying this prayer or version or rendition or some iteration of this prayer for eight years. From the end of June of 2015, when I got the phone call that my father had a heart attack, and a few days after that, they said, your father has lung cancer. To this very day, as I still continue to pray and seek the Lord and wait for the Lord to bring my prodigal children home, I continue to pray something like this. So I ask you to just pray with me as we close with this prayer. Father, 
Lord, use my circumstance in a way that will bring you the greatest glory. Allow it to become as hopeless or as desperate as you you deem necessary to display your love, power, and grace in a manner that will bring believers and unbelievers alike to greater faith and trust in you. You know my weakness, so give me patience and strength to bear under the weight of waiting for your perfect plan to unfold. Sharpen my spiritual eyesight so that I may see you working even through the worst of my circumstances. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you. Father, we just thank you again for your word. And again, if there's any who were here that does not know the Lord Jesus or has strayed away from the Lord, rejected the Lord, I ask you, even now, to come and talk to me afterwards and we'll pray with you. But Lord, we just pray that you would just allow this word to sink into our hearts. Lord, teach us, continue to teach us. Let this word just rest in us. Continue, Lord, to transform us, encourage us, challenge us, Lord, convict us, correct us, O God, strengthen us for the days ahead. We thank you. We ask that you bless us as we leave this place, never, Lord, from your presence. And we love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You are dismissed.